Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Our first of our Christmas series, and we're calling this series four, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking a look at, at some of the four statements in the Bible, especially surrounding the story of Christmas. Um, now I wonder what's the, what's the craziest kind of things that you would do to sort of gain some level of significance with the people around you. You know, some people are buyers. They like to go and buy stuff, and, and there's something in it that, okay, all of us, when we buy things, it makes us feel good. I'm not going to lie. That, that's a good, it like, oh, I got this, but it lasts for like how long, right? But some people, we go and buy things to gain a level of significance. Now, I'm going to say, that, that's probably not where I go to. Um, I'm too cheap, number one. All right, but also, so there's people out there that are like, man, I'm going to buy this sweet car, this sweet house, and I'm going to feel significant. I'm too cheap, and I'd be like, man, I'm going to go buy this really cool flashlight. <laughs> and hopefully people are going to be like, man, this dude's so cool. Look at that flashlight. People aren't all that impressed by it, right? I like little gadgets. But some of us, to gain significance, we, we go for certain feats. We, we, we want to do certain things that will impress people. Now, if you've been in sports at any point in your life, uh, you probably know a little bit of the feeling I'm about to say. I still remember the feeling the very first time as a 5'2 freshman walking into my first varsity basketball game of my life. And I, what was going on in my head was not, man, I got I to gotta take care of the basketball. I got to run this play. I got to get the ball to this dude. What was going through my head was, man, there is some girl that's going to think I'm so cool right now. I'm just being honest. That was 100%. And let's, let's be real. I married a girl from my high school, and she thought I was pretty cool when I played basketball. So it, I think it did work, okay? Um, but we do all kinds, kinds of things to gain some feeling of significance. Uh, having or not having a job is going to affect the level of how significant we feel. I remember when I was first married, I was working part-time as a youth pastor, part-time as a painter. And there were a lot of days where when it was my painting day, I'd get called off for whatever reason. And, and man, there's just those, you'd be sitting in, I'd be sitting in the apartment and, and like, oh man, I just, I don't feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do today. The amount that we get paid in the job that we have uh, determines some feelings of our significance. Whether or not we have a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend helps affect our feelings of significance. When you get up in the morning and you step on a scale, what it reads might affect your significance for that day. The amount of friends that you have. I didn't have a whole lot when I was growing up. Um, maybe the, the amount of dings that you get on your phone from either messages or from the social media world. There's that spike of adrenaline that happens when we hear that. There's all kinds of things that, that play into how significant we feel in this world around us. But you know there's a problem with all this stuff in that all of it is so uncertain. The athlete eventually gets older and gets slower and can't do the things that he used to do. The beauty queen gets older and maybe is not seen as quite as beautiful around by the people around her. The CEO eventually has to retire. And so he might have all the money in the world, but there's that sense of power that he doesn't have with the people that, that work under him. 
the mom's kids all grow up and they eventually go and they do other things in the world. And so this mom has to, to kind of recalibrate what is her life all about. The, the, the senior in high school eventually graduates and has to go to college and now all those people that knew all the reasons why he was so cool, like they're not there anymore. And you got to recalibrate. What is it that makes me feel significant? And plainly put, if our significance is found in what we do or the things that we have, it's going to be destined to fall at some point. We're not going to feel all that significant. We need something or we need somewhere that we can look at for where is that significance. And every single person in here right now is going, well, we at church. So he's going to say, it's Jesus. And you're right. All right, it's Jesus. You're like, man, this is a, this is a tricky sermon. He's not Jesus? We should find? No, it is. Okay. But I want to talk a little bit, not just about who our significance is found in, but why we find our significance in Jesus. Because sometimes we don't always think about it in that in that regard. So, like I said, we're, we're starting this Christmas series, and we're going to be looking into some, some passages in the Bible that start with, the sentence starts with four. And this one is Isaiah 9, verse 6. And probably everybody has heard this at some point, especially around Christmas. Uh, it's prophecy about the, the, the coming Savior, and it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And if all you do is look at this passage, you're going to think that this, this Christmas and this Jesus that comes with Christmas is just like this cute, little, perfect, happy, peaceful, everything is hunky-dory kind of a feeling. And the truth is, is that... Uh, that's, that's a lot of what we think about Christmas. For being such a religious holiday, it's crazy how everybody in America just kind of is like, yeah, Christmas is a cool thing. And you can say all you want about, oh, there's this war on Christmas. Here's the thing, Christmas ain't going away. Because people see it as this thing of peace and happiness and goodness and gifts like who's gonna argue with all that stuff right we like christmas how can something with such a religious meaning have such a strong backing with everybody i think part of it it has to do with this innocent quality that we find in this story of the baby jesus let's get real about the christmas story and i think it's important every single year we we get real about what this christmas story is actually saying to us it is a story that is far from quiet and peaceful and cute. Story of Jesus doesn't look like this cute little baby put in this manger when we actually take a deeper dive into this. Uh, this young girl was, who was not even actually married to, to the man that she was with, all of a sudden is pregnant. In a time where, believe me, it wasn't as accepted as it probably is today. And she is, she's in a bind. Not only that, she now has to go and travel on the road after she's like super pregnant. Like she's, she's ready to go, right? She's ready to pop. And she has to go on the road to this town quite a ways away because the government has told her that you, like, you guys have to go for this census. Couldn't fight against it. Hey, I'm like, I'm like eight and a half, nine months pregnant. I, just, you got to do it. And then it gets worse. On this trip, 
this woman goes into labor. I've seen babies be born. I've seen it four times. I've seen it in the comforts of a room where they have beds that, that go up and down and there's like, you can bring in ice so they can like suck on ice. I don't, I guess that is calming. I don't know. I've never been pregnant myself, so I don't know. But there's all these comforts and the monitors to make sure that you're, you're doing okay. And I'm telling you, with all that stuff, it looks like it's an awful ordeal. <laughs> okay? It doesn't look enjoyable. And this woman is in this stable. Dirt floor, probably animal stuff all over it. And she has to give birth here. Talk about coming into the world in, humble, in a humble means. But Mary, she gives birth in the harshest of conditions with no place to stay but this stinky stable. And sure, the, the child that she brought into the world was probably, he's probably really cute. Like, most every baby you see is really cute, right? I say most, because we've all seen. I hate to say it, but you've gone to see that baby for the first time, and you're like all excited, and you're like, oh, I'm so excited. Why? Oh, this is so cute. Whoa, I wasn't expecting that. I just, it's awesome. No, you're probably better at acting that it was cute better than me. But most babies are cute. I'm sure Jesus was a cute little baby. But what was people thinking when they walked by that stable? Were they thinking, man, what, a, what an awesome thing. That, ba- that baby's going to be the king of the world. No, they're thinking, man, what a poor, ins- insignificant little child. Think about that. Jesus, who the Bible talks about was the creator of the world. People are, he comes into the world and people are probably thinking, ah, pity on that kid. That is a poor life he's going to live. An insignificant life he's going to live. The insignificant went way, way beyond that because shortly after this, Jesus' parents were going to have to go off into Egypt because the government wanted to kill the baby. It wasn't even wanted from that very first moment. And so he quickly became a foreigner in a land that was not his own. He was an outsider. Nothing about this story resembles the cute, cuddly little baby Jesus that is commercially accepted in the story of Christmas in America. The real story of Christmas is rather a a very inconvenient story. But it's also a really beautiful story. Baby Jesus, he, he was actually probably worse off than insignificant. He was actually expendable. He was expendable to this world... This world didn't even want him. And so we read this phrase again. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now what do you think about when you think about a baby? Uh, There's a lot of things that come to my mind when I think about babies. I think about changing diapers. I think about long hours of not getting any sleep. I think of many hours upon hours of crying for the baby and for me. I I think of getting up in the middle of the night and... Now, guys, this is kind of the, what we have to go through if we're the one getting up once in a while in the middle of the night. you got to get out the bottle. you got to find... The, the baby's crying the whole time right now. Like, it's already begun. you got to get out, get the bottle out, and you got to heat up water on a stove. But when it's like your third or fourth kid, you just put the bottle in the microwave. Let's be real. Okay? <laughs> All the nutrients are now gone. But 
so you got to heat up this bottle. The baby's crying. And in their crying, they decide, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And so now you're trying to heat up the bottle, trying to change a diaper, all the while trying to find a way to keep the baby quiet enough not to wake up the other three children. And so you're like down in the basement in, in like the soundproofed room that you've made for the baby. I'm telling you, when I think about babies, and I don't miss all that part of it, but I also think about innocence. I think about helplessness. Think about that for a minute. We talked about it. Jesus created the world, and he couldn't even create a meal for himself. For at least two, three years or whatever, he's got to depend completely on his mother just to be fed, just to stay alive. Why in the world would God come to the world like that? In Philippians 2, it alludes to this idea of just how insignificant Jesus actually made himself to be for us. He says in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, one of the greatest passages I think in the whole Bible. It says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I love that sentence. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, before Jesus did anything, he made himself insignificant. He made himself insignificant. You know, his nature as God's son or as God himself, mm-mm. You're not even going to consider that. Uh, his perfect nature, he's not going to think about that. People bow down to him and people worship him. Uh-uh, he's going to become their servant. Like, this stuff is all, this is, it, it's kind of warped in my mind when I think about it sometimes. When Jesus took on the form of a baby, it was really overshadowing what his future was going to be. He was going to become insignificant for us so that on the cross, he would take all that insignificance and take our sin upon himself and die for us. Become the savior that we needed him to be. And you think about this, it's so different from what the, our natural humanistic version of what, what God coming to this world might be like. I don't know about you, but I, I like... Um, I like superhero stories. So DC, Marvel, they're all good. And lately, I've been going back to an, one of the first uh, television shows that kind of got a lot of that stuff started, at least for, for the newer generations of us. But I've been going back and watching the show Smallville, which is kind of a cool idea of, of Clark Kent as a high schooler and, and kind of grown up into the idea of Superman. I like the backstory to all this stuff. But what's interesting about it, even Clark Kent, when he came supposedly in the comics and he came to, to Earth, even as a little child, dude had supernatural strengths. And see, that's, that's how we, now, except for when kryptonite was around. There was always kryptonite around, right? Like, all the time? Come on. It's like a soap opera of kryptonite. And but what he would always, he, he was strong, he was able to do stuff. Jesus came completely void of all that. Insignificant. Baby Jesus is humble. He's poor. He's powerless. He's hunted. The one who made everything in the world has now humbled himself to absolutely everything. Christmas in America, frankly, paints too cute a picture of who Jesus is. His life was thrown into turmoil the moment that he stepped onto this planet. And the reason was because this planet was full of the sin that he came to get rid of. 
maybe not to get rid of, but to at least atone for. So Jesus the baby is God's response to the damage that sin brought upon this world. This is the perfect response that God could give. And why is it that a baby is God's response to sin? Why not a superhero that would take over his enemy Satan and just do away with everything that was bad in the world? Why, why not that kind of superhero Jesus? And I think the reason is this. This was the most personal way that God could come into our world. I want you to listen to how personal the statement is in Isaiah. It says, again, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. This child was given personally to us. He was for us. He is God's personal gift to each one of us. And so what happened in, in, in the person of Jesus, God chose to identify himself the way that we have to identify. We all grow up with these insignificances in our lives that we feel and that we know deep in our soul, in our gut. And Jesus took that upon himself. In every way he became human to become like us. So that he can identify with what we have to go through with. And here's the beauty of this story. Jesus became one of us so that he could personally deliver us from the life of insignificance. You know, my boss Eric Henry, uh, was, we were talking about this in our teaching team meeting. And he talked about how just warped the, our idea is in our culture of what significance actually is. Like, completely, we, we have a completely warped idea. It's all about what other people think of us. That's what, if I'm significant, it's because people think that I'm significant. And sometimes, um, sometimes those feelings of significance, uh, they, they give us, it's because we, we maybe become successful or powerful. Sometimes um, the feelings that people give to us, it, it's this feeling of insignificance. And I remember, I think I've said this before, but back on the playground when I was a kid, kids used to call me Tornado. And it was because every time we'd play sports, I got way too mad. And I, they'd be like, uh-oh, Tornado's out. And those kinds of things, they, they do play with your brain a little bit. Um, and you get these feelings of insignificance because of what people are actually thinking about you. But you see, in truth, we've been talking about Jesus coming to the world and being insignificant. But you and I both know Jesus' life was never actually insignificant, was it? It was never insignificant. It might have been insignificant based on the way that people in the world saw him, but it was never insignificant based on what his father saw in him. You know, even looking back when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, and he comes up out of the Jordan River, and, and the father says, this is my son whom, whom I'm well pleased with. Yeah, we can see it in that moment, but it's, it's throughout. You look back at I, Isaiah. There are names that God uses for this coming Messiah, even for when he is a baby. He gives him four names that I think are so powerful and show the significance that was on this life, the life of Jesus from the moment he was born. It says, And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, this is the real story about who Jesus is. Because this is the real story that God the Father is saying about his son Jesus. It's not about what everybody else is saying about who Jesus is. It's about what God the Father says. And so I want to go through those four names just really quickly. You got Wonderful Counselor. I love this name for, for Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom for us that we don't really have for ourselves. 
Bottom line, none of us are all that wise. We just aren't. And I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be like poking your neighbor right now, being like, I told you, you ain't wise. Because it's all of us. We are all unwise people. We need a wise counselor. And Jesus is that for us. Paul David Tripp says this. Sin reduces us to fools. I also realized this this week when I was going over the sermon. I can't say fools without sounding like I'm from the streets. I don't know why it is, but it's like it always comes out fool. So, sin reduces us to fools. At the epicenter of our foolishness is a street-level denial of God, not philosophical atheism, but a denial of our need for God and a belief that we can live life on our own. As a wonderful counselor, Jesus comes to rescue fools from themselves. Jesus, by his nature, his identity is as our rescuer, to be our counselor. Second name that, that is given in this passage is Mighty God. And it's really interesting, after all that we've talked about, how Jesus, he literally kind of let all of his godness go when he came in to be, be this baby. But he still is the God of incalculable power. All throughout. And we see it particularly in his resurrection power. When he rose from the dead. That kind of power means that you and I are not left uh, to our own strength. We have a strength that comes from somewhere else. Thank goodness. He has the, the power that is significantly powerful over sin itself. The third name that he is given for him is Everlasting Father. Now here's what's interesting about this. A father can only be a father if he's got children, right? That's the beautiful part. We're, it's right in here we see that we are children of this incredible God who came into the world for us. He's chosen us to be his children. Even at our worst, when we do everything that we possibly can to make sure that we, sh we aren't the children that, that, that he says we are, we're grafted into that family. It's not because of what's in us. It's completely 100% because of what is in him. And that everlasting title is also important because it means that no matter what, that, that is his everlasting name to us. He is our everlasting father. We are his children forever once we give our hearts over to Jesus. And then the fourth name for Jesus in this passage is Prince of Peace. Now I hear that and I'm like, man... Is, is he really the Prince of Peace? Is there actually peace in this world? Is there peace in my life? And see, that's part of the problem. The people back in Jesus' time, they kind of thought, well, he's supposed to come and be this government dude. Take over the government. And Jesus is like, no, I'm, I'm here to take over your hearts. I'm here to give peace to your hearts like you've never had it before. And so when we, when we invite this Jesus into our lives, there is a peace that we can't get any other way. It creates the ability for us to have peace with one another that we wouldn't be able to have otherwise. So the names of Jesus that are given in the book of Isaiah, they represent a powerful significance in who Jesus is and who he was and who he's always going to be. And I think there's something that speaks into every single one of us when, when we hear names of significance. You know, I go back to my time, uh, again, uh, playing basketball in high school. Anybody, anybody here from a, a small rural town? Anybody? Small rural town that has a really awful news station on like a, on a and it's, you're watching the news, 
and you're like, you guys, you guys don't know what you're doing. <laughs> okay, that was a little bit what my news station was. It was 30 minutes away from my town in Rhinelander. Um, they, you know, I, God bless them. They just don't have the money that the bigger places do. Well, they would do uh, news, th- news little three-minute segments on the sports program for kids in the local high schools in sports. And so they decided to do one on me one day because I was just this short little point guard. And so they come to my, my school and they do some interviews. I've got the video. It's just embarrassing how much of a dork I was. Um, but they do this thing and they, as the guy is introducing it on the news that night, he gives a description about me and this is what he said. There hasn't been a general this short since Napoleon. I know, I heard that wow. No, seriously, like, so there's three descriptions in there, right? There's a description of general, short, and Napoleon. I hope I'm not, I hope Napoleon is not a great description of who I am as a person. Short, I'll give him that. But the one that I really loved was, was this idea of general. Because that was a certain kind of significance that I saw, like, I was trying to be this, this field, this floor leader on the court with my basketball team. And I actually loved the rest of it I could have done without. Uh, but I, I, liked, I liked the idea of general. Um, we want to count for something. You know, and Dallas Willard puts it like this. The drive to significance is a simple extension of the creative impulse of God that gave us being. We are placed in a specific context to count in ways that no one else does. And that is our destiny. We want to count. And what I love about this story that we see in, in Isaiah... Jesus is given four names. But names are not just given to Jesus in the Bible. Names and descriptions are given to us as well. The Father sees something in us. We see significance, just the fact that Jesus was given into this world for us, that shows our significance. But there's also names and descriptions that God gives us throughout the Bible. And if, if I spent all the time... The time going through all the descriptions, we would be here until after the Vikings lose today. Um, but I hope they don't. It's the, they're playing the Lions. If they lose, I'm done. All right? But here's some descriptions of, of who we are. The Bible says, you are a loved child of God. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. You are reconciled with God and saved. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Here's one that I really like. You are blessed. Now, some of you are like, I don't know where the Bible gets that from because I don't feel like I'm blessed. Um, some of you are thinking, man, I, I am closer to Murphy's Law that it, whatever can go wrong is going to go wrong in my life. But the Bible literally says that we are blessed people. It says 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, that all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Another one is you are a citizen with God's people. Uh, so many of us, we feel like we're lost. Or we feel lonely. We feel like we don't have this, this group of people to call our own. And there's, I think, you know, I think part of the reason that there's anxiety and depression that is just overblown in the world right now is there is a sense of loneliness. We need to feel like we're a part of something. Well, Ephesians 2.19 says, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. 
We've been adopted into a family where we have a fellowship that is there for us at all times. The Bible's being really clear on that. These are truths about our lives because Jesus has come into the world and done what he has done for us. All of these truths exist for us. And there's one thing that each of these names or these descriptions, every single one of them that you see in, in the scripture, one thing that they have in common. God indicates that these are descriptions of our true significance, but they're granted to us through the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus coming into this world as a baby in humble means is the reason why we have the descriptions that God has given to us. I love that Jesus chose to take on insignificance for my sake. It's not something that he had to do. You are not what others say that you are. You're not what others think that you are. Let me even say this. You are not what you think you are. You are not what you say you are about yourself. Our significance and our value comes from one thing, and it comes from what God says about us. It's going to be tempting sometimes to question our value in God. You're not always going to feel like you have a whole lot of value. But Jesus is the definition of what our value is. And he's the one who gets to grant it to people. He gets, the moment that we say, God, I have no value. I, I, I don't know what you're trying to do with me in this world. I'm thinking sometimes Jesus is like, dude, I, it's my job to tell you whether you've got value or not. And I say, you do. Just listen to it. Maybe this is a message that you don't feel like you need today. Maybe you feel plenty of value in your life and you feel plenty of significance. Well, if that's the case, I'd even say maybe you need to, to still look at, okay, where am I getting that significance? Is it from the job that you have? Is it from the money that you make? Is it from the social setting that you find yourself in? And all those things are working out well and so you feel like you've got significance. I would say even in that context, that's not what true significance really is. True significance comes first and foremost and only from Jesus. Your significance was birthed long before the creation of this world. It was birthed when God decided that you were worth everything. So much so that he made it in his plans long before the creation of the world to send his son Jesus to this world for us. This week, I think some of us, we need to allow God to speak words of significance over us. It is so much a part of our culture that we, we compare ourselves to everything and everyone. And because of that, so many times we, we find ourselves just feeling like we're empty. We feel like, man, I, God, I just, I'm not who I'm supposed to be. I don't even know if you can do anything with my life. And I'm telling you, I think that, I don't know if there's many more things that probably hurt the heart of God than for us to sit in a place where we think, God, you've, you've made me into nothing. The fact that he sent his son for us is all the significance that we need. And so let's let God speak words of significance over us. Let, us, let him remind us just what he's done for us and what he has called to us. And I would challenge you this, if you need to, go in, Go and Google stuff like your identity in Christ. Descriptions that God has given to you. Because sometimes we just need a refresher of what God says about us. So we stop listening to what other people are saying. So we stop listening to what our own heads are saying. Because we all need that refresher. 
Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.